Did you ever wonder what you look like deep inside in your core? If everything was stripped away, your defense mechanisms, your armor, all your projections, what would you look like? This is what we will be discussing. Please join us. Yom Kippur within, discover yourself. Hi, Simon Jacobson here. I want to wish everyone a Happy New Year. Rosh Hashanah. We're now in the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And therefore we will be discussing about a central component of this season, but most importantly, a central component of ourselves. What would you look like? What do you look like? When all the layers are stripped away, who are you? at your essential core. In this pre-Yom Kippur discussion, that is what we will be discussing. Yom Kippur within, discover yourself. This program is dedicated in memory of Charles Jacobs by Lisa Jacobs. Later on in the program, we will also viewing a special Yisker memorial announcement of names of loved ones that you sent in. That will be at the end of the program. So let's go for it. If someone were to ask you, who are you? It sounds like a pretty simple question, but it's not that easy to answer. Very many people, their initial knee-jerk reaction is, who am I? Here's my business card. But immediately, think about it. That's what you do. That's not who you are. Some people then with a sigh, some without a sigh, will say, but what I do has become who I am. Think about that. Who you are should define what you do, not the other way around. But that's life. We live in this world. Much of our time is preoccupied with trying to make ends meet, make a living, support ourselves, our families, and of course all the other concerns of this world. We're now dealing with a COVID-19 pandemic, whatever stage it's at, but we're dealing with it. So we have health issues, we have economic issues, we have personal issues. And all of that tends to obfuscate what we really are at our core. Because when we're involved with all these activities, and they're important, some more important than others, obviously. We have plenty of things that are superficial that are not necessarily mandatory elements in our lives. But bottom line is all these aspects of our activities and our interactions and our responsibilities and expectations obfuscate who the real you is. Which is why, as you may know so often, almost on a weekly basis, when we talk about the deeper sense of ourselves, the deeper dimension of ourselves, the best place to go to is to that inner child. What were you like before man-made institutions and devices and attitudes shaped us? Like the freshly fallen snow in that morning you wake up and nobody's yet stepped out on the ground. That's the purest snow before it's been tread upon. What do you look like at your core? Going back to your childhood, before parents influenced us, for good or for bad, before educators, society, that would give us the purest version of ourselves. The dilemma is we don't remember our first moments of life. But yet, there are ways to access that, and we'll be discussing that as well. So then that question, who are you, is vital just to play, I don't like the word devil's advocate, but just to challenge myself and say, one second, but maybe it doesn't really matter who we are at the core. What matters is what we do, our behavioral lives. If it's working, great. If it's not, we try to either adjust it or we then dig deeper. But I think the answer is quite obvious that that is not sufficient. Because if your core self is a certain 
element, a certain personality, certain features, talents, skills, and that has become gone undercover and become concealed. And now you're living the projected you that has to have consequences and implications in self-fulfillment and actualization, in happiness. Human beings, like nature, abhor fragmentation, abhor compartmentalization. So yes, we've learned to master the art, but there's a dissonance that remains hovering and in many ways shrouding our lives. So it's vital to get to know who the essential you is, because that then can inform the rest of your life. And we're not talking about necessarily disrupting it all. It's going to a place, to that purest place. So again, what is that purest place? Let's go by the process of elimination. It's beyond your defense mechanisms, your armor, all the faces that you project, attitudes. Just to take an example, we meet different people in our lives, people we know well, we project one way. When we meet a stranger, we project another way. We're more careful, more cautious. People you know well, you trust, you open up more to. They know you in a way, sometimes you hear someone says, oh, you don't know him or her. Get to know him or her and you'll see what they're like. Why? Because the, the person that you are projecting to those that either you don't trust or newcomers is not necessarily reflective of the deeper parts of your personality. So it's very clear that we are continuously, I don't want to say the word maneuvering or even manipulating, even though that's also part of the equation. We are adjusting to what is expected. Many of us don't want to rock the boat. We don't like confrontation. So there's many faces and many attitudes that we project that not necessarily reflect who you are. And then, of course, on a more, uh, quote, uh, a more malicious level, there's the duplicity of our lives. The duplicity. An expression that we have is, you say one thing with your mouth and you feel another with your heart. You can smile to someone and, God forbid, that can stab them in the back. So then it's not just concealing, it's actually duplicitous. Duplicity is very much part of our existence. So all this is what we need to contend with when we're trying to dig deeper. So we have one day a year. The truth is, it should be every day of the year. But one day of the year that's dedicated to exactly that. To traveling within. To the deepest part of our very psyche. Soul. So to use a simple example, you have a, um, a smartphone, you have a computer, you have another device. It's all functioning, you buy it, factory ready, everything is great. Of course it has a whole mechanism within that most of us don't even mind. Who's ever seen the inside of a uh, smartphone? And even if you have, it would it make sense? The microprocessors, all the things, and you start wondering, how much can this smartphone contain? Not just data and information all the different apps and so on. How is it working? Many of us don't give it a lot of thought, but it definitely has things working. Now, as long as everything is functioning, we don't give it a second thought. However, if something breaks, something's not working, either you have to go into the kishkis, into the inner, the innards, to understand what's making it tick. And those that manufacture it, obviously build it from the inside out, not from the outside in. You don't first build the case. You first build the, the soul of it, if you wish. The engineering, the DNA, and then you encase it and package it. So when we look at ourselves, which part of our lives are we most familiar with? The package? Or maybe some inner layers? Or do we really also work from the inside out? And I would submit that most of us don't work from the inside out. Of course, we live from the inside out, meaning first you know yourself, then you know the world around you. But the bottom line is most of us are, are functioning on that, let's call it survival level or interactive level, which is far more on the outer surface, the functioning machine, the functionality of it, rather than the, we'll call it the soul of it. So it comes one day a year. It's the holiest day of the year in the Hebrew calendar. But it's a year that's universal for everyone. 
this holiest day of the year is the day that we can actualize, access and actualize that inner core of who we are. So a little deeper look at this. The way the, the, way the Kabbalists, the mystics, explain the human psyche, human soul, is based on a statement that has five, the soul has five names. It's called by five names. Five dimensions. I'll first say it in simple English, and then I'll give you the Hebrew words for it. First dimension is biological life. The fact that there's a spirit within us, some force of life, that energizes us, allows us to be functioning human beings. You know what? I'll give you the Hebrew right now. That's called nefesh. We're going to do it through five levels. Nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaye, yechide. I think that's a more organized way to go. These are five Hebrew words, but they all have, they all generally mean soul, spirit. But they're specifically, so the first one, nefesh, the biological life force, which we're most familiar with. The next is when we say life, emotional life, feelings, things we're attracted to, things we're repelled by, things that evoke a feeling, a reaction, an emotional reaction which is more than just functionality. That's called ruach. Third level is neshama. That's a general word for soul, but in the context of five levels and dimensions, neshama is intellectual life. The mind is at work, processing, analyzing, evaluating. The mind, third dimension. Those are three that are conscious levels that we can relate to all the time. You could say cognitive, emotional, behavioral. From the bottom up, behavioral, emotional, cognitive. Then comes two dimensions that are, we'll call them transcendent elements of the soul. They're not, they're super conscious. They're not directly accessible. One is the transcendence of transcendent life. Because the first three are, are, at the end of the day, they're part of our functionality. We use our minds, we feel, with, we feel with our hearts, our emotions, and we act, we behave. Transcendence is going beyond yourself, the aspirations, the dreams. Seeking something that is ethereal, more sublime. That's called chaya. And number five, the fifth, is called yechida. Yechida means oneness. It's that state at the core core of the soul where you just feel completely in the zone. It's seamless. You don't even feel it. Transcendence is superconscious because it's, by definition, transcendence means beyond your, let's call it, imminent and relatable faculties. This is now, that's chaya. But now you get into a place where you don't even feel transcendence. Sometimes you can call it perhaps the transcendence of transcendence. You completely feel at one, a oneness, where sensation is not even relevant. You can say that at times when you feel completely at peace, like you belong, and you're not even conscious of it, like a fish in water, that would be a taste of this ichid. Now, all year round, in our regular daily grind, we access the first three. You see this all the time. We're using our minds, we're feeling, we're acting. There are special times of the year, the way the Kabbalists put it in the context of Jewish tradition, the Sabbath, the holidays, we access the fourth. That's why there's a fourth prayer. Every day is three prayers. There's a fourth prayer. That is the transcendent Chaya. And once a year, there are five prayers. Yom Kippur. That fifth Ne'ilah prayer at the end of the day, where we access the deepest core of who we are. But it's interesting, if you recall the statement I made, was five names or five dimensions. The soul is called by five dimensions. That means the soul, this essence is not even the fifth. But I don't want to really focus on that so much, even though it's intriguing, because through Yechida we actually access a level that you can't even call by name.
even Yechidah, that oneness, that sense of complete belonging, is also a name, because there's, it, at the end of the day, it could be an experience. Essentially, it's really when there's non-experience at all. So Yechidah is experience of non-experience, if you wish. But I, wanna, I don't want to get this too, too, I don't want to get too esoteric, let's keep it into language we can relate to. So how do we talk about this Yechidah? Since it's superconscious, since it's a state which is not even defined by tangible empirical tools, and as I said, you're just in the zone, how do we, as soon as you talk about it, it's not it. And yet, we have that capacity to express the inexpressible and to talk about things that maybe sometimes defy language. So we're using language to defy language, just like we use music, musical structure, musical notes, to transcend structure. The feelings, the sentiment, the experience being transported to another time and place. It's coming from very, your ears are hearing music, but something that it does to you takes you to another place. So we can do the same with this level of Yechidah, which we're going to be focusing on. So if you think about it, because of our behavioral, emotional, and cognitive faculties functioning and being stimulated and even hyper-stimulated, especially in our society, where we're being inundated all the time with data and information, you can imagine that it's very difficult because when you're distracted by the outer layers to, to dig deeper. Think of it like listening to the very subtle sound of a violin amidst a rush hour. So it's there, but you can't hear it. You can't discern it because you're so occupied and consumed with the sounds are, are drowning out any more subtle elements. So it's an interesting statement. The story of Elijah in the Bible. The prophets, that he was waiting to, for the divine presence to manifest. And it says, first came a wind. And he thought in the wind he would find the divine. No, it was not B'loi Baruach. Then came Rash, a tremendous thunder. And he thought there he'll find the divine. Find the divine. No. Then came a great fire, Aish. He thought the divine was within the fire. No. So Leiba Ruach, not in the wind. Leiba Rash, not in the thunder. Leiba Aish, not in the fire. And then afterwards, Koil de Momodaka. A very subtle, silent voice. And that's where the divine essence was found. We live in a world there's a lot of noise a lot of glitz, fireworks. And we're attracted to it. When we celebrate somebody's an occasion, a special occasion, we make noise. And I don't just mean a physical noise. It's with fanfare. It's with, uh, with the dramatics. When a child is born, even though, yes, we may celebrate the birthday with a party, but the actual birth is usually very quiet. The parents and family celebrate and celebrate greatly. But the actual experience is a very humble miracle. The greatest experiences in life, you can celebrate them, but they themselves don't have that many dramatics. The same thing in our personal lives. Very often we hear a lot of noise. It doesn't always mean that there's a lot of content. Quantity doesn't always reflect on quality. So real qualitative experiences, the magical moments that forever remain etched within our beings are often very, in a way, anticlimactic from a point of view of uh, production. But we do live in a world that is constantly making noise, constantly celebrating in one way or another. So you could imagine that there'll be a dissonance because you think, okay, you know what, if it's not being celebrated with the, proper, with the proper fireworks, it didn't really, wasn't that significant. That's not the case. When two people truly love each other. So of course there are moments, special days, special occasions they celebrate. But that actual love is reflected in a connection that really defies words. A look, a feeling, a touch an intimate experience 
very personal, very private. Because that's the nature of intimacy. So true intimate experiences, and I don't just mean at a sexual level, I mean it in any context, whether it may be a spiritual experience, where it may be a transcendent experience, where it may be something that comes through art or music. When you get to the core, and I don't mean the transcendence, the fourth level I was talking about earlier, I mean that part of you, that it touches and resonates, that is not something that has a lot of fanfare around it. It's that pure, that subtle, silent voice. It may be surrounded by great winds and thunders and fires, but within it all is an innocent, beautiful soul. That is you and I at our core. But we are sent to this world, and that core is then packaged. Layers are added. The transcendent layer, the intellectual layer, the cognitive layer, the emotional one, the behavioral one, the functional one. And now we're compelled to travel inward. We live in this, on the surface level, and we're compelled to look inward. And it's not that easy. Comes this one day of the year and says, discover yourself. Get in touch with, connect with that purest part of who you are. Now, some of you listening to this may say, I don't know what he's talking about. Some will say, I know perfectly what he's talking about. Some will say, I know what he's talking about, but I can't see possible to access it. It seems lost. So I'm going to address all three. Let's begin with those that feel, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm not saying this in any critical way. I'm saying it with love and care. The fact of the matter is that though we may have become a product of circumstances or even a victim of circumstances, that doesn't mean that that's who you really are. Just because you define yourself by your work, by your equity, by your social status, by how others see you, that doesn't mean that's who you truly are. Now, I know it may be a comfort zone. This is where you've gotten comfortable with. But ask yourself, what are your aspirations? Are you happy remaining there? Usually the nature of a human being is always looking to see, always seeking and looking to grow. So I'm not here to persuade anyone that there are deeper dimensions to yourself, but I think it's pretty obvious. Unfortunately, and that's the nature of the beast, I don't want to call it a beast, the nature of the way of all flesh, is that when things aren't working that well, suddenly a pandemic strikes or other disruptive forces and other upheavals, and our comfort zones are shaken, we suddenly realize, one second, I need more resources. So when things are very comfortable, yes, it's very difficult to pierce those outer layers, to dig deeper in. Some people are always seeking that, either by nature, they're wired that way, or they've gone through a lot of pain, or whatever the reason is. For those of you listening to this and say, I don't really re identify, well, when things are shaken up, our comfort zones, our security blankets, as I said, are upended, our schedules, our plans, that usually is a time where we call it a wake-up call. Leonard, Cole, Co Leonard Cohen calls it the cracks. The cracks, that's how the light gets in. There were no cracks in life. We can be self-contained in this shell, and live on the shell level and never even realize there's a whole life within. It's like living on a peel and not realizing there's an orange or a fruit within. And it's not a critique. It's the way life is. The mystics, the Kabbalists explain, is because existence itself was created that way. The inner forces, the deeper inner forces were encased. And you can even say being held hostage in a way, trapped within an outer casing. That's why it's called, if you've heard the word, kalipa, which means a husk, a shell. And we convince ourselves at times that's all there is, the shell. But in truth, within, there's a fruit. There's energy. This material world is not an inanimate shell. It is not just that it contains within it 
its very existence is a product of pulsating energy. The elements within them, the molecules, within them, the atoms, within them, the subatomic particles. Our limbs and organs and our bodies, within that are systems, respiratory systems, circulatory system, neurological systems, and so on. Within that, we know there are the, the cellular structure, the chromosomes, the genes, the cells. So when we discover and we realize that what makes us tick within, it is not just a nice uh, experience, it redefines your whole being. Imagine living a life not defined by the shell, but defined from within. And a simple example that I often give. When a person is crying, tears coming out of their eyes, tears of joy. It's very obvious that you don't first cry and then you have a feeling. First you have the feeling and then it manifests in physical tears for whatever reason. You see a smile on someone's face. It's not just first there's a contortion called a smile and then you say, oh, the smile means, the smile causes you to be happy. No, the other way around. A sense of happiness, for some reason, shapes your face in a certain harmonious way that indicates a smile. I'm not talking about not crocodile tears or fake smiles. So everything in life works from inside out, not from the outside in. We just function on the outside level, on those outer levels, and we can become so accustomed to it, we don't think about it until there's a crack, until there's something that wakes us up. And sadly, sometimes that is trauma. Loss, something different, something shakes us out of our reverie, our sleep, our comfort zones. But there's a healthy way to go about it, which means, we, well, everything is healthy ultimately, but I mean to say we don't have to wait for a tragedy or a trauma or a shakeup. And that's this holy day of the year, where we deliberately and intentionally, 10 days after the beginning of the birthday of the human being on Rosh Hashanah, we go deeper and enter into that inner space. And also not at the beginning of the day. As holy as the day is, it's five steps. Because it takes effort to travel there. But finally we reach that fifth level. Discover yourself. So let's talk about that some more. And how, what does that mean? How, do you, what, how does that manifest? How do you access it? Well, interestingly, like it is with any type of discovery, first you have to strip away layers. You can't just access something without uncovering. Because if it's trapped inside, or not trapped, if it's embedded deep within, and you're seeing the outer layers, the outer layers are now drawing your attention and distracting you. As good as they may be, but they're outer layers. So just like it is in friendships when we meet each other. What does good conversation do? Good conversation ultimately... Let's not just talk about the weather and about sports and about externals. Let's talk about deeper things, about ourselves. What you're doing is stripping away the outer layers and getting to the core. And a, me a medical example, dealing with symptoms or dealing with the root of an issue. Psychologically too. In every area of life, the first step is to shed away. So to do that, we need to do what today has become very popular and different generations, different times in history. People have different names for it and different exercise, whether it's called mindfulness, meditation, focusing, space. What you're doing is emptying your mind and emptying your heart and emptying your life from distracting forces. If you're sitting and multitasking with 50 different things, you're sure not going into your yechidin to discovering yourself because you're busy with the outer layers. So yes, step one is to quiet things down. Remember, quiet down the, the winds that are blowing, the thunder, thundering sounds, and the fire. They're all good and important and they play their role, but there are times where you want to put that aside. In a sense, it's like shutting down your senses to a certain extent. Closing your eyes, your ears, your taste, touch, and smell. What are you left with? You don't disappear. You're left with yourself. Without the devices that interact with the world around you. Because remember, you don't need ear, ear, eyes to see yourself. You don't need ears to hear yourself. You don't, need a, you don't need a taste, touch, and smell. 
to experience yourself. Those are bridges. Those are interfaces between you and the world around you. You see the world. It sees you. You hear others. They hear you. And the same thing with the other three senses, taste, touch, and smell. It's an interesting exercise because we're so busy with our senses and our sensory stimulation, it can be quite refreshing. So I'm not suggesting shutting it all down. We can't even do that if we want to. Maybe we can with some training and conditioning. But you get the idea. The more you can quiet down the outer sounds of life, the turbulence, the more that inner core essence, that inner pure snow, that inner pure child can emerge automatically. When I say automatically, I mean you're laying the ground. Obviously, there are more efforts to be done to access it, but don't underestimate how much happens when you put away. It's like anything. You strip something, you unpack it. That's how you find what's inside. It's there, waiting to be released. It always reminds me of Michelangelo's beautiful response when he was asked, how do you sculpt those exquisite angels in the marble? He was, of course, the great sculptor. And he responded, I see the angels trapped in the marble, and I carved and carved and set them free. That means it's there, but it's trapped in marble, in concrete, in other substances. That's what our life is like. So it's quite purifying and refining and, and, and refreshing to discover that angel within. Which is why in Yom Kippur, we fast. We stay away from as many, much as possible material activities. Try to be angelic. White is the color of, of uh, Yom Kippur. White is the pure color without the dazzle of the beautiful colors on the spectrum, which anyway are all the prism of bent light. Pure white light is the purest form of it all. We're going to the purest form, not the way you manifest in color red or blue or green or your favorite colors or you dress a certain way, your color scheme, but as you are white and pure, exactly like when we were born. I would suggest, try this out. Get yourself a picture. Go ahead and find a picture of yourself when you were a young child. Even very young, meaning newborn. Or in the first years, and look at that, study that picture. That's you. And then ask yourself, how did that become this? And I don't mean that in a negative way. Try to retrace. Is there anything about that inner child, that pure, beautiful child that you can identify with? A memory, an experience, a song, a story? I know some answer. I only have bad memories from there. That can tell you immediately, if that's the case, that it's become not just embedded and and locked up but actually in a way imprisoned that inner self so it's how much more so you need to access it so we look for things that identify things that resonate when you hear something that resonates within you and i'm using that word very deliberately a song a story a, a thought What's res- what does the word resonate mean? It means there's something in you that relates to it. You may not even be conscious of it, but you say something about that. It's a truth that I relate to. One of the greatest compliments that you can get as a writer, as a speaker, when someone says, everything you've said, I already knew. You just made me aware of it. That's exactly that place inside of us. It also adds another critical component, and that is recognizing that you have everything you need to deal with any challenge that comes your way. Because it's within that yechida, that oneness of that inner self. So there's a lot, a lot of work to be done here. 
You're getting to know yourself sometimes for the first time. I've heard this from quite a few people, different over the years, talking about Yom Kippur, talking about its potential. Some people who follow my book, 60 Days, which is a journey, a spiritual journey through the high holidays. So of course there's a whole section, an entire build-up to Yom Kippur. So I've heard this and was very touched. People said, you know, I've, I have discovered myself in a new way. I didn't even know I had this within me. That's how powerful this is. And it doesn't matter how old you are. And it's not because you don't have it within you. It's discovering it within you. So just a few more examples of that type of resonating truths. And then we'll talk about exercises. Things you can do that can actually help actualize it. Not just be aware of it and access it, but actualize it. So other examples, listen to a piece of music, a song. We know what music does to us. It transports us to another time and place. It can make you cry. It can make you laugh. It can somewhat mute our pain, our immediate anxieties. Why? Because music is the language of the soul. Is it the language of Yechida? That's a discussion. Discussion, how deep does it touch the soul? We know it's definitely more than nefesh, ruach, and neshama. The, the behavioral, emotional, and cognitive. But how deep does it reach? But we know it reaches quite deep. So it's a good exercise because it allows you to access something deeper inside of yourself. Same thing could be through poetry, through nature, through art. You go out to nature. It could be at a beach, watching the ocean, the waves. It could be a meadow. It could be just looking at bees, pollinating flowers, whatever it may be. There's a harmony, an inherent harmony there that is, mirrors our own inner harmony. So don't just view it and observe it. Think about the contrast. Do you have harmony like that within yourself? Many of us don't. We have discord. We have fragmentation I mentioned earlier. We have different voices and forces tugging at us. We have a lot of inner conflict, inner and outer conflict. But seeing harmony does something for us. It makes us feel there's something that's working. What is it doing? It's resonating within your yechida, which has a sense of the oneness of existence. You often hear about this from scientists, not necessarily in a religious context, that unity, that symmetry, the harmony of existence. Harmony is a reflection of oneness. Well, even though it may manifest in many different ways, many different experiences, but there's still like a harmony of a symphony, different musical instruments, different beats, different sections, and yet they all come together in this glorious harmonic symphony. Our human, be- our, our human bodies, like nature itself, is also a reflection of that type of harmony. Now the list goes on. You can find many examples. What I'm trying to do is just create identifying identifiers, th- handles that we can hold on to, to experience that inner yechida. So if you're talking from the behavioral, emotional, cognitive, there, yes, you could have harmony too, especially when it's informed from within, but you can also have more functionality. But the fifth level, the fifth dimension, discovering yourself within, that its focus is, that is its cornerstone. The essence of it is harmony. Harmony within diversity, an inner unity, a unifying principle, a unifying force that really connects everything about your life. So, of course, it therefore relates to your very mission of why you're here. It's not about your job, it's not about your home, it's not about your entertainment. It's all of that plus more. The thread that connects it all. That I was put here on this, in this world in some way to spiritualize, to refine, to elevate the corner of my universe. So whatever it is you're doing is all driven by that 
unifying Yechida Dika principle. So with that, let us move now to actualizing. When you feel that people, when, when somebody has total, utter commitment and devotion to something, and it's unwavering, where does that come from? Because on the behavioral, emotional, and intellectual levels, cognitive levels, you could have commitment, but you could also not have commitment. Things there are conditional based on circumstances. Do you feel for it? Do you understand it? Is it working for you functionally? If a job isn't working for you, you move on, if you're able to. On the level of Yechida, there's this utter, total connection and devotion. So ask yourself, is there anything in your life that you're completely committed to? And I should add, it should be something that's not superficial, something that's lasting, something eternal, a value, a love, a family connection, Many people have shared with me, and it's pretty obvious, that during this pandemic, because so many of our conventional institutions and schedules and calendars have been disrupted, destabilized, so we feel unmoored. And we look for something a little more eternal that knows that can last through anything. Those eternal things are not affected by pandemics. When you have access to them, because they remain no matter what. It's like a storm may blowing through. The winds, the howling winds, the, thunder, the, the loud thunders, the raging fires of life. But that silent, that subtle silent voice is, withstands it all. So when you have that, it makes it easier to get through the challenges around us. I'm not suggesting they aren't there. So actually, this time of this time in history has given us more opportunity to access that. So ask yourself that. A while back, I was speaking to a group of many students on Zoom, and I asked them, "Can you compare? Let's compare. What are the three most important things in your life? Let's say eight months ago, before the pandemic began." So list it. And people wrote down on the Zoom, there's like you can do like a, a type of survey online. And the answer was pretty much predominantly sexuality, money, sports, entertainment. And I said, what about now? The, three, the top three are very different. One was values, love and my family. Where are we headed? So a shake-up does that exactly that. Instead of living on the surface, you start thinking about those things. So ask yourself that question. Total, utter commitment. Another way you actualize it is, are you a giver or a taker? You may ask, what's the connection? The connection is very, very direct. That part of that unifying part is not insecure where it needs to hoard, needs to take to be greater. It is completely comfortable to give. So another manifestation of it and actualizing it is giving. Feeling that you have what to give and that your personality, your identity is, has an indispensable element to your life, to the entire world, I should say, as well. The third thing, sanctity. Sanctity. Yom Kippur is a holy day, a day of sanctification. What is sanctity? Sanctity is more than just being a good person, a refined person. Some things are sacred. Life is sacred. Truth is sacred. The space of another person is sacred. These are all features that are yechidadik, meaning coming from that yechida part, because they're beyond the usual wear and tear of life. And finally, one more, fourth one I will mention. Forgiveness. Yom Kippur means the day of atonement, forgiveness. The ability to forgive and the ability to ask for forgiveness. That also lifts us up beyond the daily negotiations of life and calculations. Should I carry a grudge? Should I not? This person hurt me. Even if it was legitimate. 
It allows us to become greater. They say to err is human, to forgive is divine. And we emulate what God did. He forgave on Yom Kippur. I will mention one more, the fifth, hope. is the day, the birth of hope, which is an extension of forgiveness, meaning no matter what happened, no matter what was broken, even if that inner pure self, that yichidu within you, that inner child, was somewhat concealed or even trapped, there's always hope because it's always burning within us. Remember, it's trapped in there. Doesn't, you don't have to acquire it. You have to reveal it. You have to carve and carve, strip and strip until you access it. This, my friends, is the secret of discovering yourself. And with work and effort, nothing good comes without effort, you can discover deeper and deeper layers. So with that, I want to bless each one of you. Bless you. You should have the wisdom, the feeling, the cognitive, the emotional, and the behavioral faculties. Align them toward discovering transcendence, but even deeper, Yechidah, the oneness that connects the hub, that connects everything else. May it be a year of tremendous blessings in a revealed way, all in the best of health. May we use these challenges that we're facing as catalysts, as springboards for greater growth. May we transform this world into a world of personal and global redemption. One of the features of Yom Kippur is saying Yisker, the memorial service of Yisker, remembering our loved ones. That is yet another expression of the Yechida of Yom Kippur. Because uh, you could say my life is going on, okay, I'm sad, I lost my parent, or I lost another loved one. I will mourn, I will grieve, I will give charity in their name, I will remember them. But life is happening on this level. When we connect to the souls of our loved ones, we recognize that life is not just about a soul within a body. There's other dimensions. In a way, you need to access your inner dimension to connect that dimension, connect to the dimension of the soul of our loved ones. If you live in the outer level of the functional, the behavioral, or even the emotional and cognitive, you might don't make that connection. So Yom Kippur, the day when we connect with the most inner core of ourselves, we also connect to the inner core of our loved ones, even when they're stripped of their body. So we try to strip ourselves of our outer layers to connect to that inner core, and that creates a deeper connection. This is why we say Yisker. We remember you. You're never forgotten. Even though I physically cannot see you, you're part of who I am, my very being. We mention the name of our parent, father or mother, and their parent, their mother. Because we want to connect to them personally and want to connect that say, yes, we'd love that it should be also connected on the vehicle level, meaning on the outer levels, but right now this is what we have. So in Yisker we make that Yechida connection. And it's a oneness. You know, someone you love, even if they're not there physically in front of you, you're always one with them. They're part of who you are. Your actions, your behavior, they live through you. And Yom Kippur is a perfect day to make that connection. As such, the Meaningful Life Center, we've established a Yisker memorial wall, a virtual one, to eternalize the life of our loved ones with their name, if you go to MeaningfulLife.com slash Memorial Wall, you can add any name you wish. So at this point, I'm going to be reading the names that have been submitted this year. Each name of a loved one. But it's not just names. It's the souls. Their very soul is etched within our hearts and souls etched on this memorial wall 
but as a reminder of the connection within. So this is a very solemn and sacred moment when we remember and we connect and we feel one with the loved ones in our lives. Okay, so um, this is a, m- a message to uh, Shlomit. So this we're going to work in, and I'm going to give it a conclusion right now, after I read all the names, which I'm going to do after I get the list. May we connect this Yom Kippur with each one of our loved ones, the ones I mentioned, and also those that I didn't mention, wherever you may be. Let us connect with those that were here before us. May it give us strength. May it give you strength to deal with any challenge that comes your way. May it be a year of blessing, a sweet, healthy year of abundance materially and spiritually in the best of health stronger than ever to demonstrate what the human spirit is capable of especially when we come armed with the souls of our loved ones and those before us it should be a very blessed year it's always an honor especially now as we prepare for this holiest day of this unified day of Yom Kippur, please be in touch. May this year be a year of deeper connection. Meaningfullife.com, we're here for you. Your comments, your thoughts, your feedback. Shana Tova, very blessed year to all of you. Thank you. Actually, you know what? Before I say that, I want to add something else. May we use Yom Kippur No, may you use Yom Kippur to connect to that innermost part of yourself and the innermost part of your loved ones. May that blossom and turn this year into a true year of personal and global redemption.